what Ron told me to do, so we're live. Okay, so this is uh, a biblical counseling course, and we are continuing with the subject of how to handle the past biblically. And you remember that we've gotten through three of the four boxes, and after giving some biblical admonition uh, in each area, uh, we're trying to be able to categorize our past in a way that not only can we let go of things that have hampered us in the present, but also that we've learned how to handle things in the present to have the funeral on our past where we need to. The past can be a very powerful motivator and help to us. It can be an educator to us, or it can be one of the greatest hindrances in our life. How we handle our past is going to determine how we handle the present and certainly the future. And you remember, just by way of quick review, we said that we could literally, in a biblical sense, divide our past into four categories. We said there are those events that happened to you in the past where you were innocent, where you didn't do anything wrong, but something may have happened to you, some event or some uh, personal issue, and you handled it well. Uh, you handled it well. And uh, we said that in that particular category, we want to make sure that we understand that sometimes God allows trials and testings. There is authentic suffering that we go through for our benefit, and that we can always see comfort in the Word. And I hope you can read my chicken scratch up here. It's not very good. Uh, but we talked in Psalm 73, Psalm 61, and 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. So if we've handled it well, um, and by the way, real quickly, when we handle it well, what are we to do then in our minds and in our hearts? Move forward. Thank you. Amen. Let it go. Move forward. Okay? Don't dwell on it. This happened to me. If you handled it well um, and you've finished that issue, put it to death. Don't let it hinder you. The second thing we talked about was that something happened to you that you were innocent of, you weren't to blame, but you handled it poorly. Now, I find myself in this category a lot. Do you, amen? Right? Come on, join me here. We all yeah. Come on. Don't hang me out here to dry alone. No. Most definitely. Like, yes, thank you. Like, I don't know what your problem is. You don't want to stop the confession. That's right. Listen, if I was Catholic, the priest would have four birthdays before I got out of here. Um, anyway. So, sorry, I don't mean to be disrespectful. Sorry, that's not Okay, sorry. Um, you bring up, you bring up something. Okay, so if we handle the past poorly, how, what do we do about that? If we come to this category, well, we have to be able to look at ourselves. One of the things that the faith calls for is that we have to be mature. We have to be able to look at ourselves and say, okay, look, I, I didn't handle this properly. Did I return evil for evil? And that's often a problem. Romans 12, 14 through 21, we want to get that right. But we also know that um, we can develop bitterness in our hearts, and we have to keep ourselves in check. Typically, if we have had something happen to us that's not our fault, and we respond poorly, it's because we're offended in self. And we have to look in. So we have to make sure that we're humble, we make sure we haven't developed any bitterness, that's Ruth. Uh, did we develop an unbiblical view of people. You know, sometimes um, something happens to a person and, and, a, and a woman can say, I hate all men. Or a man can say, I hate all women. Or, you know, we can develop an unbiblical view of life in general because of one instance. And I've seen this tragically many, many times in counseling where one event has, has colored the whole view of a person in that whole area. 
and they just lump everything in. So be very careful there. Also, did you develop an unbiblical view of yourself? Usually we think more of ourselves than we should. Uh, are we seeing this in light of how God would see it? And if the Lord were with us, what counsel would he give us if we handled this poorly? And we need to look at that. Then, I can't read my writing. Did you confront, okay, did you confront an abuser if appropriate? In other words, is there some way that you can rectify the situation with an individual if it's possible? Um, I remember years ago, Ron telling me that when he was in his heyday and before he got saved, uh, he used to go out joyriding and one day did a little bit of damage to some golf course property. And I won't go any farther than that. It's hard to believe Ron, isn't it? I mean, you look at Ron and are you kidding me? Um, but anyways, uh, he went back years later and confessed that and apologized to the course. You know, that's, that's admirable. That's taking care of a, of a past issue. Now, sometimes we can't do that. Sometimes that's not possible. But where it is, we want to make sure we do it. And then let's see, what else did I write here? Okay, uh, have you practiced biblical forgiveness? In other words, sometimes um, we have to confess this. We need to ask for forgiveness. Um, have we practiced forgiveness? Whether we are the abuser or something's happened to us or whatever, or maybe we handled that poorly, we've got to make sure we understand that. All right? So that's that category. Then, last uh, time, we got into this side, which isn't so much fun, but let's say that our past, we were guilty. Uh, something happened in our past, and it's our fault. I find myself in this category a lot, too. Um, and, but we handled it well, okay? We were guilty, we handled it well, and that would mean either we repented of it, we made it right with someone, we confessed it to the Lord, we did whatever it was that was necessary. The problem with our past in this category is we often tend to carry the guilt. Satan loves for us to carry guilt. Satan loves for us to carry guilt. And I know people that carry guilt like a ball and chain. You know, it's just like no matter what happens to them, they're constantly beating themselves up. Um, we all make mistakes, but when we confess it and when we make it right, we need to let go of that. Okay? You know, you look at Zacchaeus. You know, I'm sure he wasn't the most upstanding guy in his heyday. But when the Lord called him and he said, you know what, if I've defrauded anybody, I'll give back four times as much. He didn't carry it around like, oh my goodness. You don't know what I do in my past life. He made it right. And that's the joy of remembrance. Believe God's promise that if we confess our sin, he's faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the great thing about our Lord. And again, what is the danger that we wallow in our sin? Now, if you're wallowing in sin, and this seems to go on and on and on and on, then there are some questions we need to ask. Have you truly repented? You know, sometimes people carry guilt because they say, well, I've, you know, I've asked forgiveness, but they really haven't done all they can do. And they may carry guilt, and until they truly repent, they're going to carry guilt. So we want to ask, have you truly repented? Or, secondly, if you're carrying this guilt, do you have a wrong view of sin? You know, sometimes we think that our sin is, is just insurmountable. And, again... Are we showing fruit of the Spirit? Are we living for Christ? Um, and notice I put rejoice in our union with Christ and in his resurrection. So how fitting for today. Christ has conquered sin. So if we're resting in him and we've done all we can, then, uh, and we're seeing fruit of the Spirit, we may not see it perfectly, 
then we can let it go. Don't carry guilt when you have rectified a situation. Uh, because that will, again, skewer you in the present, and it will hinder you in the future. All right, so now we get today to the last category, if you're guilty and you've handled it poorly. Anybody ever in that category? You did it, and you handled it badly. I think we could all say that we've been in that category. So, so let's look at this. Um, what is the first thing that we need to do when this is the case? <coughs> Okay, pardon me? No, you know, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because that's a, a, a common, that's a common phrase that's often used in psychological terms. Nowhere in the Bible are we ever asked to forgive ourselves. In fact, you can't forgive yourself, if you think about it. You know, when you think about it, you really can't forgive yourself. So, you know, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, because a lot of people think that's the way to do it, and they try to forgive themselves, but they never wind up really forgiving themselves, because there is no forgiveness found in self. Only the Lord can forgive us. And so our attitude, so the first thing we have to do is, again, to confess the sin. Confession is so important. In the Reformed doctrines, and you'll see this brought out in the Westminster Confession, you'll see this brought out in the Heidelberg Catechism. You'll see this brought out in many of the systematic writings of our faith um, on how to pray. And we use the acronym ACTS, and you've probably heard of that. We pray to God with prayers of adoration. With, what do you think the C stands for? Confession. Confession, right? And thanksgiving and then supplication. So prayers of confession are important. Um, you know, I'm always praying a prayer of confession before I take communion. Not because I feel like my prayer of confession is a works-based thing that justifies me with God, but because I want to make sure that I can go before the Lord with a, with a pure heart to say, Lord, I want to confess the sins I know of, and if there be sins that I'm not aware of, you know, I want to confess my love for you and my desire to repent of anything that is brought to my attention. Yes? Could I just say one thing about Acts? It's so important. Yes. It begins with adoration. Yes. You shouldn't just go before God and say, oh, I've done this and this and this and this. Yes. We have to recognize God as totally sovereign, yes. king of the universe, recognize yeah. and glorify him, and that way we see our own position and our own sin. Yeah. And we're in a place that we can. Yeah, thank you, Forrest. And along with that, thank you for that. That's a very good insight. Confession is like a two-sided coin because it's not okay just to confess. We can go up to somebody, okay, I'm sorry. You know, God, I'm sorry. You know, confession, that wouldn't really be a confession. With confession, with genuine confession, always comes, first of all, the acknowledgement of the sin and a desire to repent. Okay, in other words, it's not just that I'm saying, I'm sorry. Anybody can say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry you don't like it too bad. But confession says, I'm sorry, and this is what I've done wrong, and I want to confess to you that I've, I've done this or this, and I want to ask your forgiveness. So this is very important. Now, here's another thing that's very important. A lot of people think that confession is only to God, and certainly it's always to God. But it is also, when appropriate, to other people. Okay? 
If I have wronged you, and I've hurt you in some way, or I've done something to transgress you, and I come to you a week later and I say, well, I went to the Lord and I asked his forgiveness. And then I walk away from you. That's not confession. You know, if we've wronged somebody, look, if we're guilty, now some things we do, we're guilty, we've handled it poorly, and it's only before God. Like sometimes I have real frustrating thoughts. I don't know about you. Um, I haven't sinned against anybody, per se. I haven't spoken ill or done anything, but I know my heart is not in good fellowship with the Lord. And I have to confess that to God. And I have to say, Lord, my heart is wrong, and I need for you to create in me a clean heart. And in that case, my confession goes to God alone. But if I have sinned against someone else, I need to make that right if I can. Now, sometimes, again, that's not possible. But if it is possible, then you need to go to other people as well, and you need to make that right. One of the things that we stress in church discipline that it's not okay just to just say in your mind, well, you know, okay, I'm okay before God. If, we, if, if there are other people involved, there has to be a confession there. Now, the next thing is we want to make restitution When possible. Or, and I want to put not only when possible, but also slash when it's necessary. Okay, so, let's say, <clears throat> let's say that I stole money from you. And two months later, I fall under conviction, and... Um, and I come to you and I say, you know, um, I want to confess something to you. I, I stole money from you and, uh, you know, and I want to ask your forgiveness. And, but I'm so sorry I said it. Is that right? Is God going to honor that? Not really. We have to make restitution when possible. Remember Zacchaeus? He didn't say... Well, I've defrauded people, but praise God, I'm saved and I'm out of this sycamore tree. <laughs> right? He said, look, I will pay back four times whatever I've defrauded anybody. That's repentance. That's exactly what he should have done. He not only confessed it to God, but publicly he confessed it to other people and held himself accountable that I'm going to make restitution for this. So, um, sometimes that's necessary. Now, sometimes it's possible, sometimes it's not possible. What do we do in a case when it's not possible? We ask the person what we can do to work out some sort of restitution thing. Okay, sure. You could do that. Uh, what if the person died? Okay. Pardon me? Go to their family. Yeah, you could go to the family. That would be certainly a good thing to do. What you want to do is you sanctify common sense and try to find any way, if there is any kind of restitution that could be made possible, that you follow that up and that you try to make it right as, as best as you can. Um, the other thing that we want to do is we want to, once we do that, is we want to, um, let's see, how can I put this? Um, remember the assurance... of God's forgiveness. 
This is a category that can really haunt us. Okay? Um, a lot of times, like I'll hear this, Pastor, I was such a bad parent to my children when I was younger. I wasn't a believer in it. I did horrible things in front of them, and my example to my kids has been awful. And now that I'm saved, I've asked their forgiveness, but they continue in sin, and, um, and I don't know that I can live with this. How would you counsel a person that came in and told you that? What would you say to them? Yeah, you really messed up. Sorry for you. Go to your children. Okay. I've done that. I've done that, and, and you know, they just... They've said, this is good for you, Mom or Dad, but it's not our life. What are we doing in case like that? I would believe Proverbs 28, 13. Which is? Um, <clears throat> he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes will find mercy. Okay. In other words, I would believe, yes, I am receiving mercy and it's active. Okay. That's on the right track. You're a bloodhound on the right trail. But we're not there yet. <laughs> but you're at least on the right trail, Norm. What is the problem? Okay, what, if, if a woman or a man came to you and said that to you in counseling, where is their thinking skewered right now? What, what's the problem? They're focused on themselves and what God is doing. And they're carrying a lot of guilt. Right? And here's the problem. Can you change the past? You could spend a whole lot of time on, oh gosh, you know. You can't change the past. So what can we do? What we do is we tell them, you know, the best thing that you can do is first of all, attempt restitution. Go to your children and say, guess what? I want to confess to you that I've become a follower of Jesus Christ. I've become a Christian. And my desire is to follow the Lord. And I realize that in many of my growing up years, your growing up years, I was not a Christian and I exemplified parenting that was wrong and is, I've been convicted of is wrong and I want to ask your forgiveness. Now, that's the first step. Now, whether they receive it or not is not the question at this point. Hopefully they will, and if they do, praise the Lord. Sometimes that happens. If they don't receive it, then what? How do we get rid of the guilt? What do we tell this person? Just got it out? Hope they don't land in jail? Your kids? What do we tell them? Okay. I know God's sovereign, but look at my situation. I mean, you're right, God. Is, you know, that's, that's an important issue to bring up. I'm not saying that to be very, very important issue to bring up. Because the sovereignty of God tells us that ultimately he's in control of all that happens. But what do we tell this parent to handle this? What do we tell them? Go see Pastor Jack. I don't have a clue. No. <laughs> Sometimes I don't have a clue either. Trust me. Go ahead. <clears throat> I, I think maybe just reminding them, like, you know, David, after he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, he said, um, against you, Lord, only have I sinned. Exactly. And so he, you know, he received forgiveness from the Lord, who ultimately is the one who That's sinned it. again. Right. And you, you have to allow your heart yeah. to rest there. There you go. You acknowledge this that's, that's getting there. Exactly. 
we, we reiterate the importance of 1 John 1 9. That if we confess our sins, that Christ is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the way we get rid of the guilt is to make sure that they have the assurance of God's forgiveness. That you know what? God brought you to Himself when He did. God forgives you. And now you live your life the rest of your days to the glory of God, to the best of your ability. Be the best testimony you can before your children. Take every opportunity that you can to speak to them about the Lord, show the love of Christ, and pray fervently that the Lord might open their hearts. What we don't want to tell them, or, or what we don't want to allude to, is the fact that you've got to carry this guilt for the rest of your life. When I have a mother, and I just recently had a mother come in in tears, I, I had an abortion five years ago. What am I going to tell her? Am I going to beat her up? I'm going to put my arms around her and weep with her. And say, you know what? This is not the unpardonable sin. And you know, we can't change the past, but we can learn from it. And you know, God can love you as, as completely as any believer that ever walked the face of the earth. And if you confess that sin and you acknowledge it was wrong and that you know the depth of God's forgiveness and you stand on the assurance of God's promises, you can let that go. Now remember, I want to bring up a caveat here, because when we talk about letting it go, that doesn't mean that we huff and puff and try to forget the past as though it never occurred. Uh, we never see that in Scripture. But what it does mean is that if we bring up any past events that were very difficult for us or even very traumatic, that we can do it in a way where it's now constructive and not destructive. Okay? So the point of it is this. Whatever our past is, when, for educational purposes or sanctification purposes, it serves our interest to bring up the past, then, if we can do that in a positive way and rest in the assurance of God's forgiveness, then we can bring it up again without the guilt. So, let's say a mother like that, in a year or two, winds up going down and talking to young ladies going into an abortion clinic. And she says, you know, listen, there's a better way. Maybe at that point she can be a real, she can do this to the glory of God. As hard as that might be, but she can do it to the glory of God. You know, not to wallow in her sin because she knows she's forgiven. It's, it's just like Jesus when he dealt with uh, the woman in uh, adultery. Right? Remember what he said? He said, let you who was without sin, let him cast the first stone. Okay, so they all dropped their stones. Remember Jesus was writing in the sand? And I'll tell you what he was writing. Even the Bible doesn't say, but I know. <laughs> uh, I think he was writing the sins of all the people that had lives. That's what I think. But we'll see. Maybe he was, you know, doing something else. I don't know. And they all left. And he looked at her, and what did he say? He said, who here condemns you? Wow. That's the most important question. You know, I'm glad Jesus didn't just say to her, I forgive you. That would have missed. That would have missed something but he said, who here condemns you? That's the question. That's what we want to know. And she said, no. And he said, then neither do I condemn you. See, she needed to have that assurance. Look, I'm saying you're not guilty. Go and sin no more. Just walk. And she could leave without the guilt. And that's what God wants us to remember. So we need to remember the assurance of God's forgiveness. Listen, there's nothing you can do on the face of this earth 
that is beyond the forgiveness of God. If you confess it and you repent of it, God can forgive it. And remember that he's seen your life from start to finish and died on the cross and his payment was accepted before you were even born. So it's not like you're going to get to heaven and the Lord's going to say, whoa, I didn't see that sin. Whoa! I only took your life at 15 years old. He's seen it all. He knows everything. Your thoughts. Psalm 139, right? He knows everything. That's the assurance we have. Now that doesn't give us license to sin like Paul said in Romans. Should we sin all the more that grace may abound? What did Paul say? God forbid, right? I mean, we can't take this as license and run with it. And, and it's a shame and tragic when Christians do that. There's a heavy price to pay for that. Because the Lord will chasten those whom he loves. But we have that assurance. Okay? Now, um, Let's write down these verses. I don't have time to go through them all. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. This is more that you can look up about remembering the assurance of God's forgiveness. Uh, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Romans 12, 17 through 21. Matthew 6, 12. And then Psalm 32, 5. Now, <clears throat> what are the consequences, or let me put it this way, what are the effects of unconfessed sin? Guilt. Okay, well there certainly is that. But there's more than even that. Pardoning of the heart? Oh, definitely. Let's look up some verses, Debbie. That's, that's, that's part of the mother book. Somebody, uh, let's look up uh, Psalm 32, 3 and 4. And I know I said 5. Can someone else look up Psalm 38, 1 through 8? Someone else, Proverbs 28, 13. Norm, I think you quoted that, didn't you? Yeah, Proverbs 28. Yeah, and then Hebrews 12, 4 through 11. Okay, let's look at that for just a minute. And will someone tell me when it's 10 after? We are going to get through this today. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay, does somebody have uh, Psalm 32, 3 and 4? Anybody? Nobody? Look that one up? I have it. Okay, thanks, Michelle. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up. What a powerful statement by David. He said, when I kept that inside of me, my bones just dried up. It's like, I'm telling you, unconfessed sin is like swallowing poison. It just erodes you from the inside out. And when you see people that are constantly negative and miserable and, and mean and unhappy, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times it's because there's unconfessed sin there. It's self-destructive. Sin, listen, always is toxic. Okay, let's have someone else read Psalm 38, 1 through 8. Okay, go ahead, Robert. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. My iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. 
I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. You talk about the, what a powerful description that is of sin, isn't it? I mean, you know, you, you see that, again, that when we try to hold this inside, when we don't take care of this God's way, and he's so gracious in giving us a way, it just is going to tear us up. It's just going to tear us up inside. And, you know, you see David, again, just lamenting over this. How about Proverbs 28, 13? Norma, mm -hmm. let you read it. He has, uh, you know, kind of the hero of the verse. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Yeah. Now, when it says he who hides transgression will not prosper, that word prosper can mean many things. It's not just financially. It could be, mean that. But you're not going to prosper in the Lord. You're, you're not going to prosper spiritually. You're not going to, you're going to hinder your ongoing sanctification in Christ. You know, there are many Christians who are no different 20, 30 years down the road than they were when they were first saved. And that's tragic. One of the things that, and I usually ask my wife this, I guess I could ask you guys this, but I want to know how I've grown over the last year as a pastor, as a, as a Christian. I hope I'm not the same today as I was a year ago. I hope that I'm constantly being renewed and, and being sanctified. You know, and I hope it's evident, you know, that, that we all have to have spiritual growth and, and that we want to make sure that there's nothing hindering our faith and that we're confessing those things. Yes? I think you've changed because you've uh, agreed to go see the chiropractor. Ha <laughs> 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 You had to bring that up. Well, I'm not that sanctified yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'm trying. Yes, I mean, how can you do this to you me? Still, <laughs> you still have to do it, you promise. Hey, too, Brute. Hey, too. <laughs> I feel like Julius Caesar right now. I just got a knife in the back. Okay. Yeah, let's, let's not talk about the back, shall we? I feel great. Look at Okay. Ah, man. I have a phobia here. It's just like, anyway. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Forget that. Strike that from the record. Uh, Hebrews 12, 4 through 11. Anybody have that? Okay. Kareem? In your struggles against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you with fun? My son, do not regard life as the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as a son. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers, who disciplined us and we respected them, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of Spirit and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seems best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Amen. What, what practical gems come out of that? You know, one of the results of unconfessed sin is God's chastening. And listen, when God chastens you, you should get on your knees and thank Him. Because 
that shows his love and his care for you. Um, you know, it's easy for us in our humanness to look at God's discipline as being mean, or God, how come me and nobody else? Or, you know, we can often, instead of looking at it as something that is cathartic, we can look at it as something that's really uh, oppressive and, and unfair. But God chastens those he loves, and you know, it's never fun to be disciplined by God. But it's always going to yield righteousness. And you know, for the times the Lord has brought me in the woodshed over the years, I'm always grateful. I don't like doing that. I'm not a martyr by nature. I don't know if any of you are. Um, I don't really prefer to be there, but when I'm there, I know that it's because I need to be there. And, um, you know, it, it, it brings conviction. It, it also, the chastening of the Lord, and Debbie brought this up, and I want to get back to her because hers is really the mother load. The chastening of the Lord is the only thing that will break hardness of heart. When a heart gets hardened, that's one of the most dangerous things a Christian can ever experience is when we develop a hardness of heart. And God looks at that so seriously that it is literally the chastening of God that can break a hard heart. And I have seen Christians carry unconfessed sin for years and dig their heels in, and there comes that moment when God just rips it all open. And you know, it's, it's, it's painful to watch, but those people in the weeks to come are liberated. And that, that conscience that was seared with a hot iron now begins to become pliable and, and acute and discerning again. So, how wonderful that our Lord doesn't let us stay in this, in this condition. And if we are still hard of heart after his chastening, then, you know, like he did with the Corinthians, he'll call you home. Because that's love. He would rather call you home than see you continue in destructive patterns. So we need to understand as believers that we need to take sin seriously. Um, we need to make sure that we're not guilty, that we've handled it poorly, and we're content to leave it there and just hope that everything goes away. I realize that none of us like confrontation. Does anybody really like confrontation? I don't really prefer it. But sometimes it's necessary, isn't it? And we need to be able to go before God or others and to say, okay, you know what, we need to get this right. So let's remember that. Now, I want to end with a positive note. And that is on the fact that we should not miss the joy of repentance. I want to suggest to you that repentance is one of the greatest things in all the world. Let's have somebody look up Psalm 32, 1 and 2. And someone else, Psalm 51, verses 10 through 19. Okay, thank you, Forrest. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Go ahead. I was going to take the second one. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, you got this. Okay, who's got Psalm 32, 1 and 2? Okay, thanks, Robert. I don't have to write all that down, do you? Okay, we're talking about the joy of repentance. All right, let me write it down. Is it A-N-C-E? Yeah. Joy of repentance. If the spelling's wrong, just, you know. Okay, go ahead. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Amen. 
You know, it is... There is nothing greater than when you have been in sin to feel once again the liberating effect of that restored relationship with the Lord. Where you can go before Him and say, Lord, there's nothing that I can think of in my mind that is serious enough that's keeping me from a right relationship with you. Now, we don't want to be too pious. We know we're sinners. We, we sin every day. We probably commit a lot of sins we're not even aware of. But, but to be able to go to the Lord with a sincere heart, knowing that I want to confess and make right anything that I'm aware of, there's nothing greater. It's liberating. Um, it, it's like watching someone to come. What, what do we see when someone comes to salvation for the first time? What, what are they like? They're like giddy school kids, aren't they? They're like, I was lost, but now I'm fine. It's the same thing for us when we get rid of this and get rid of the, you know, it, it's that restoration in the Lord. And blessed is the one, blessed is the one with whom the Lord counts no iniquity against. You know, that, that's a great, great thing. Forrest, go ahead. Let's go on with Psalm 51. Yes, please, make a comment. I was, I, I had already opened to Psalm 51 because I was thinking, we lose our joy. Yes. And I remember specifically uh, yeah. when the verse that uh, says, um, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Yes. He was still saved, but he totally lost the That's joy. That's right. Because Absolutely. God won't listen. And before I read this, I just wanted to say that Thank you. one of the things that happens is when we're in sin as a believer, we have a tendency not to read, we have a tendency not to pray. And if we are constantly in the Word and constantly in prayer, then that's always open there. Yes. To be transparent before Amen. the Lord and totally confessing your sin all the time. Amen. Because we're all going to confess. Yeah. And on the other hand, someone who's not a believer, when they first begin to realize that, you can go before the Lord yep. and you can confess yeah. and receive forgiveness. Absolutely. But this would, did you Listen, with the Lord, the phone is always up though. That's, okay, that's what we have to. It's never busy. It's did never you say, busy. Uh, ten through. Yeah, I said ten through um, uh, nineteen. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure design. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Amen. And again, you know, these verses are so self-explanatory, but wonderful verses to meditate on when we're struggling with this. You know, Satan wants you to think that if I don't maintain a certain level of pride, if I don't maintain a certain level of resistance, if I don't maintain a certain uh, stick-up-for-myself kind of attitude that 
life is just going to crumble. And God says just the opposite. You know, when you give it to me, when you trust in me, I will restore the joy of your salvation. And there are so many Christians today that don't have joy. You know. And it was C.S. Lewis who said that a melancholy Christian is a, is a contradiction in terms, you know. Because, you know, even in death, we have life. So, and again, not to be glib about it, you know, listen, we all face difficulties in life. And, and uh, we know the reality of struggling and, and circumstances. But if we keep these things near to us, and if we remind ourselves of these things... You know what? We can handle the present and we, don't, we can handle the past biblically and we don't have to let it hinder us. Um, the past can be a, an extremely debilitating uh, influence in our life if we don't appropriate it correctly. I just wanted to say, when we're forgiven, we are forgiven. Yeah, period. that's it. And I think it's very easy to find times in our lives that suddenly something from our past will come up. Absolutely. And we have to ask ourselves, why am I being accused? And who's the accuser? Yeah, who's the accuser? I don't ever speak to Satan. Yeah. You know, um, and if I our spirits... That, but I can easily say, right. thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. Absolutely. I know this is forgiven. Thank you for reminding me of this, that right. I can live and grow by it. Amen. For yeah, and if our spirits are troubled, what can I do about it? You know, what, what category do I find myself in? Is, what can I do about it? What do I have to appropriate if, you know, in my heart, my own heart? And what can I do about it, if anything, if it's possible? All right, so good. All right, thank you. Um, so that kind of concludes that. And remember, again, the 3 by 5 index cards, the next two weeks will be Q&A. And so I would really appreciate any questions or topics that you want to talk about. The earlier you get them to me, the better, because I'll, it'll give me a little time to go through them and think about them, uh, as opposed to, you know, getting them at the last minute. Um, who's your favorite pastor? Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Did you, did you get the, the one I put on your desk, Jenny? Yes, I did. In fact, yeah, it's right here. I, I have it. Yeah, so um, anyway, that'll help, and uh, I'm sure we won't have any trouble filling two class periods with Q&A. Uh, and this was a, a great suggestion by Pastor Ron, because last time he did this, he says, oh, I wish I had, I needed two weeks, you know. So we'll do it that way, and uh, we'll see how that goes. All right, well, thank you for your attentiveness, and um, I don't know why my music is coming up instead of record. So we may have nothing but iTunes on this.